Today on In the House, we sit down with Luke Mesger of Mesger Homes. Luke is a builder and a business owner in Austin, Texas. We talk about what it was like growing up in a small town and going through the Texas A&M Construction Science Program. We also get Luke's opinion on how the construction industry has changed over the years, for better or worse. We hope you like this episode. If you do, share with a friend and give us a five-star rating. Thanks for listening. Welcome to this episode of In the House. Today we are speaking with Luke Mesger of Mesger Homes right here in Austin, Texas. So Luke, it's a pleasure to have you on. I've been trying to get you on for a while, so I'm I'm glad we're able to sit down. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be here. I appreciate you guys having me on and uh, look forward to the conversation. Awesome. Yeah, we were uh, we were just talking about your your history and, and sort of how you 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 know started the the company Mesger Homes and and so I kind of want to dive right back into it and um, but I, I I really want to start with your your background you know and I want to go further back to childhood like what were some of your interests growing up like what what led you the path that led you into the construction industry yeah so. Um, I grew up in a very small town, um, graduated with 30 people from high school. Uh, my dad was the, uh, the town veterinarian, and we also owned some acreage where we had uh, a hayfield, an irrigated hayfield. And uh, my dad grew up on a ranch. He, he grew up in that world, and um, anyway, I, I grew up in that world too. So a lot of times in the summers, I was on a tractor for 14 hours a day from the time I could reach the pedals uh, <laughs> yeah. and, and operate the, the PTO and, and spend a lot of time, you know, cutting, baling, hauling, irrigating, um, fertilizing, you name it, on that hayfield. Spent a lot of time there. And, and I, I mean, that, that taught me the value of hard work for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then just being resourceful. I, I can remember a few times where, you know, you would, you know, as a 10-year-old driving the tractor... Uh, like a shear pin would pop on the baler and I would have to fix it. So I have to, you know, because my dad would drop me off and say, see you in a few hours. <laughs> and you can't just be there idle for a few hours. So yeah, having to, having to just, just figure things out and, and get things done. Yeah. Uh, learning how to be resourceful and, and learning what hard work was. I mean, I grew up um, loving to like take apart things and like yeah. figuring out how they were built. I'd take apart my toys Luckily, I think I was able to put them all back together. Uh, my mom tells a story how I, I fixed the uh, put a new belt on our dryer, our clothes dryer, when I was <laughs> itty bitty. Nice. You know, it wasn't working, so I was like, well, "Let me try to figure it out." And you know, you pop it, and you're like, "Oh, this is broken. Let's see what it's supposed to do." And um, yeah, things like that. And growing up in a small town, I didn't get exposed to a lot of different career paths. You know, it's like I, my mom was a school teacher, so I knew what that was, and I knew what a veterinarian looked like. Um, had a friend whose dad was the banker and another friend who worked at the, uh, you know, Texas Department of Transportation. And <laughs> that was about it, right? And so um, there was a gentleman in our church who was a home builder and um, really respected him and thought that was really cool. And my, my ag teacher, uh, FFA advisor in my high school, was very influential in my life. Um, and so, you know, he's the one that taught me, you know, how to wire a house and, and how to work on small engines and um, how to weld. Yeah. And that's where so, I yeah. was in FFA. Mm -hmm. I did that as well. Yeah. It's hugely beneficial. Yeah. So around the time I was in junior high, um, I had an older cousin who was going to A&M at the time and he had a roommate that was construction science degree. And I think at Thanksgiving, uh, he was telling me about it and I was like, that, that sounds exactly what I want to do. So from junior high on, I knew I was 
gonna go to AM, get a construction science degree and, and and have a home building company one day. Really? From yeah. that early? From that early, yeah. That's great. Not even like you didn't think engineering nope. or it was strictly <laughs> I didn't know about engineering. Yeah. I didn't know that path existed. So <laughs> luckily I had a passion for building early on. I got asked what small town? Uh, town of Meridian, Texas. Meridian. County seat of Bosque County. Uh, it is, it is, oh, going to Baylor, you probably know, it's on Highway 6, west of Waco. Yeah, I was going to say, I thought it sounded familiar. Okay, mm-hmm. well, I just wanted to put that in context, because you said small town, but... Yeah, where? I'm not right? sure where. That helps. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, not Very small cool. town like Temple, like small town, small Th- town. 30 people in your graduating class, yeah. that's tiny. You're right. Wow, that's impressive, though. You know, you know how many people I graduated with? I have no idea. Six. Six? What? There you go. Was it, a, was it a homeschool cohort? Or? <laughs> it wasn't. It was, okay. uh, well, I grew up in, in Brenham, uh, so another small town, but probably, mm-hmm. Brenham's probably bigger than, than Meridian, because it's off 290 as you go to go mm-hmm. to Houston. Um, but, but yeah, I went to a small private school in mm-hmm. Brenham, and uh, yeah, so I always tell people I graduated third in my class. There you go. Yeah. Nice. Very impressive. Right. But uh, no, that's awesome. So you knew from very early age, because like, man, I was always a, a tinkerer like you, like I was taking apart things. I, I told you earlier, I, I took apart the piano one day, you know, to my parents' horror, you know, they see the, the family piano all taken apart and, you know, and I was, I was always curious like that. I wanted to figure out how things worked. And um, I, you know, I got into art and sculpture and, and, and drawing, um, but, yeah, my, I don't know. My path was always, uh, I didn't have it nailed down so early. So that's, that's impressive that, that you knew from very early age, like that's what you wanted to do and right. you pursued that. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's awesome. Okay, so you, you go to A&M. How was that? I'm, I'm not, so I went to A&M as well, but I'm not, uh, I'm not the best Aggie. Oh. But uh, my, my path was a little different to get there. But um, so how was how was a and I'm, I'm sure it was... It was... I loved it. Yeah. I loved it. I had my... I'm youngest of, of three total siblings, and uh, they were both there when I was there. Uh, oh, wow. Yeah. So it was it was really neat having that family. We're all real close. But having them there, I just had the full the full college experience. It was fantastic. <laughs> Went to all the games, midnight yell practices. Um, and Meridian's not that far, so that's not too bad for no, getting home. No, I think it was a two-hour drive at the time. Yeah. 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 That's um, cool. Yeah, bonfire. In fact, the the last bonfire was when I, we were. I was a sophomore, yeah. so I got to see. I got to see one my freshman year, and then um, in '99, that's when it fell and, and killed twelve Aggies. And, mm-hmm. Wow. Uh, yeah, it was. It was a weird. I still think back on that. Yeah, I'm sure. I haven't thought that's, about that in a long time. I went to a few of those back then. And, yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's pretty wild. It was pretty big. Yeah, you'd have to stand like a hundred yards away from it, and you'd still get a suntan. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> One of those things that the scale of it, you didn't understand unless you were standing there. That's right, yeah. It's kind of sad, though, that they just kind of did away with it. It seems like, you know, after, like with most things in construction, like when something fails, you don't just say, okay, well, we're not doing that anymore. It's, let's figure out how to make it why it not, happened yeah it's yeah, like how much it how much time needs to pass before you know the the loss of those those 12 people yeah we can go back to they still they do one off campus yeah that's, and that's and true. um it's it's pretty nice and pressing and you still can have the traditions going but mm-hmm. yeah it's it's a it's a sticky situation to mm-hmm. bring it back on campus yeah and like where do you put it we have a, a beautiful memorial there now correct yeah. um so yeah we'd have to clear out I'm, some other piece of land for somewhere it. else yeah, yeah. 
So you, I, I think you also, so you go through AM and they had a, um, they had a, uh, what is it, the, the program, the uh, internship program mm-hmm. there at that time too, right? They had just started it. So when I went through, we were required to do like just a summer. A summer with a company mm-hmm. internship. Now I think it's a whole semester. Um, it's pretty robust. I used to go back um, years past and, and, and um, I don't know, guest lecture uh, for the freshmen. And I remember it was like real intense. Like it was not like that when I went through. Yeah, it's definitely, it was a whole semester. But I tell you, so I listened to your um, the episode you sat down with now on the mm-hmm. Build Show and you, you were talking about your, your internship. I, well, you were you're not only talking about your internship, kind of what you learned and your experience through the construction science program mm-hmm. at A and M, and you're you're absolutely right. It's still tailored towards like commercial, commercial mm-hmm. you know, high rise construction, like like big commercial or even industrial mm-hmm. projects. It's really not tailored to uh, small residential, uh, which was which was kind of disappointing because I, I felt like you know just. Me personally, I, I learned more just in my internship than I did hmm. the, my entire time at a <laughs> I mean, all, you know, the, the book knowledge is, is all well and good. You know, mm-hmm. that's very valuable information to know. I'm just not good at retaining that stuff. I, I retain things, you know, I have to be out there and do it myself. Right. Um, and so just this whole idea of... You, you cram it all in and then you regurgitate it on the test. Like that's not a good way to, to learn, you know, and I, I don't retain information that way. And so I really wish there was, um, when I think back on it and I don't know, I kind of want your thought on this. Like it, it seems like it would be better suited if the architect students, the architecture students, the construction science students and the engineering students all collaborated like you do in the field. Mm. Mm-hmm. And actually built real projects. Right. I mean, it could be student housing projects. It could be mm-hmm. mobile loaves and fishes. It could be you know something that you could donate right to, right. The, to the community. But something where you know the architects design, the engineers engineer, and the construction science they build. Right. Right. And that to me seems like that's more of a, a learn. You're learning the process. Right. You know, right. you can sit in a classroom all day and read. And you know, have a, a professor lecture to you, but you know, it's not really sticking until you right. actually get out in the field and apply it. Absolutely, no, so, I, I, I agree with that. It's, it, yeah, I, it was good. It was a good program, very tailored towards pumping out PMs for commercial projects that know how to like run schedules and yeah. um, do RFIs and um, things like that. But as far as you know, what we do day to day, yeah, it was it was very minimal. Very yeah, minimal. yeah. Yeah, I agree. It, I, I really wish it had more of a, a focus on residential because it, it seems, I don't know, maybe I'm way off, but I think the residential market is probably bigger. Oh, yeah, for sure. Than yeah. commercial. Yeah, or, everyone talks about the housing industry. market. It, it, it's a huge, <clears throat> I mean, huge factor of yeah. the, the, the U.S. economy. So it seems like if, if the housing market, you know, or if, if home building is such a big part of the economy, it seems like we should try to be pushing more students to right. the residential side right. of things. Sounds like two separate degree programs. Yeah. Maybe so. But, you know, and I'm not trying to knock a and That's not what we're here to do. No, but, we can do that. I'm okay with uh, that. Okay. <laughs> um, but, I mean, to... 
you know, that sector, though, as far as like percentage of what you and I do on a day-to-day basis, that's really small uh, as far as the high-end residential, custom residential. Um, you know, them, them training the young leaders uh, for the production homes of tomorrow, which is what drives the economy, Sure. I, a little bit more, a little bit more. But for what you and I do I in the custom that. residential, it's it's a completely different animal. That's fair. Yeah. Yeah. This is a small niche. Very small niche. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. So you, you you come out of A and M and you uh, what do you, what do you do? You go you go to work for for who? You you go to work mm-hmm. for a production company? Is that correct? Is that right? So I okay. interned with a company called Mercedes Homes in Dallas the yeah. summer before we graduated. Um, I guess it was the my last summer as a student. Um, and then that next that next spring we graduated. Um, my wife and I got married. We I love the town of Austin. My my grandparents were here, so I grew up visiting grandparents here and also visiting like we were real outdoorsy, mountain biking, rock mm-hmm. rock climbing. And so we would come here and, and enjoy the outdoors. Uh, so when it came time to figure out where we were going to live, I was like, I really like the town of Austin. And then Mercedes was opening up a new division, or they had been open up for a few months um, in Austin. So I was like, let's do it. Um, luckily, I was able to, <laughs> I had to, the recruiter uh, who got me my internship, she was based out of Florida. And we had, gotten close that summer and she's kind of like a surrogate mom to me and when it came time to get the job in austin the i'd interviewed with the with the division president down here um and nothing nothing i didn't get a return phone call no follow-up and so i called the recruiter that worked for is, is an in-house recruiter um so what's going on and so she made some phone calls and uh, i think twisted the guy's arm and it's like you need to hire this guy <laughs> He was really good last year in Dallas, and I know he's young and, and a greenhorn, but you need to you need to hire him. Um, so hired him, and you know, I, unbeknownst to me, I think when they hired me, they were they were going to fire the the project manager for that subdivision. Oh man! And so they didn't. Of course, they kept it all hush hush. And then after a month of me working, they called me into the office like, "Hey, uh, you ready to take this this?" this uh subdivision on yourself and i was like okay let's go <laughs> um and so then that first it was it was uh baptism by fire we i had like you know eight closings that first month um and and so i just spent all day on the phone calling every single subcontractor because uh, I didn't, even, I was so young and so new at the subdivision, I didn't even know all my trades yet, really. Yeah. And so you spend all day calling the painter and going through your list of homes, the ones that are closing, obviously, and the ones that are in construction. And you know, and then you like, start making your, your own schedule because the schedule that the like, last guy had was trash. And um, so, yeah, huge learning curve. I just, like I said, hard work ethic, man, and, and being yep. resourceful. It's yep. like you don't know the answer. Could you give me a suggestion on who to call next? You know, yeah. you, you call the city and be like. Listen, I don't know if you're the right person to call, <laughs> yeah. but this is what I got going on. Can you help me, or can you tell me who to call? And so I just make those rabbit trail calls until I got to the right person. Um, that was kind of my experience when I when I first started. I was so nervous to call, you know, because you know you, you don't want to sound like an idiot. Mm-hmm. But what I learned was people are like more than willing to help you out, and that was such a relief because like I I would call people and I'd be like. Ah, you know, I don't like you. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know if you can help me. I, I don't even really know what's what I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> but I was like, can you explain to me? Like, what what is this? Like, what's going on here? Um, Be polite, respectful, mm-hmm. and direct. 
Yeah. And Correct. That, yeah. You'll get to where you're going. Absolutely. No, I mean, if you are polite and respectful, that that's definitely part of it. And and I think human nature, I mean, I think the majority of people are good, you know, and you, you call somebody and you ask them, like, they're more than willing to help you out. And that's what I learned is, like, there's no, there, there really are no dumb questions. Mm-hmm. You know, you can call and it's okay if you sound kind of foolish or, or silly, you know, but right. they're, they're, everybody's more than willing to help you out. You just have to ask. You know, they'll point you in the right direction. You might be wrong. You might be calling the wrong person, but they'll they'll steer you in the right direction. Yeah. So, so I, w- I was in that position for eight months, um, and in that, I think they had their year end. Uh, I don't, I'm not sure when their fiscal year was, but I got the rookie of the year award. It was a national yes. company award. Wow. Um, got the rookie of the year award, and I think the Austin Division Employee of the Year award as well. Very so cool. So double awarded, and then. Um, they needed a purchasing manager, so they were. They, you know, when we just when we when I came on, we were just in one subdivision, mm-hmm. and then we were quickly growing, buying lots up, um, and then so eventually they needed a purchasing manager, and I guess they thought I was organized and suited for the job, and mm-hmm. tapped me on the shoulder and they're like, "Hey, what do you think about getting on the field and doing this?" And I was like, "All right, let's do it." And so then um, that was eight months in, so I was probably still twenty three years old. Um, in charge of you know millions of dollars worth of purchasing for the Austin division of Mercedes Wow. Um, you know issuing purchase orders for probably six communities at the time, and we're probably doing I don't know 200 homes a year wow. in Austin at the time. So that's um, that experience that's that's where I learned the majority of what I needed to learn to own my own business was being a purchasing manager. Um, not only did you get to meet all the vendors in town and establish those relationships, but you got to really understand contracts, mm-hmm. really understand budgets, mm-hmm. really understand how it really works. Um, so I, I gained a lot of experience in that purchasing manager role. Well, how, so how did you make the jump from purchasing manager to measure homes? Like mm-hmm. when did that occur? Um, yeah. So, uh, we were all at Mercedes Homes, and then after about a year and a half, two years, the president uh, switched jobs to Toll Brothers um, and brought a handful of us with them. Um, and so then I was in charge of purchasing for Toll Brothers. Mm-hmm. Um, and then just, I mean, luck and a little bit of, of training. You know, I, I approached every day like, okay, one day I'm going to own my own company. What can I learn? What can I learn? What can I learn? And then an opportunity came up. My, my neighbor, uh, where I was living, um, had a buddy that lived in Houston, and they were doing these development projects with a bunch of duplexes and, and knocking it out of the ballpark. This was early 2000s. Um, and every time I'd mow my yard or whatever, he, he would, hey, Luke, Luke, when are you going to start your business? We need we need someone to build these units for us, uh, for my buddy out of Houston. And he just kept hounding me, kept hounding me. And, and I was really loyal to that gentleman that I followed to Toll Brothers, and I was like, no, no, I don't think it's the right timing. I don't think it's the right timing. And this went on for a few months. And then uh, one afternoon, that president came in my office like, hey, I'm actually, I'm gonna, I'm going back to Mercedes Homes. <laughs> and uh, this was after a couple of years too. Um, and there's a spot for you if you want to come. And uh, I was like, you know what? I mean, if we're shaking things up, I actually have this opportunity to start my own company. And he's like, do it. Awesome. Um, so I went to my neighbor and I was like, Hey, let's roll. So by the time, uh, you know, I'd spent, um, we had a few months to get everything ready, but like I, I finished my job at, at 
Toll Brothers on a Friday and on Monday we were bulldozing the property of the that's like four four duplex units we were putting in at the wow. beginning. Yeah. Dang. That's quick. Jeez, so okay, so you start when what what year was that? That was oh seven. Oh seven. Yeah, summer of oh seven. Wow. That was just at yeah, right before right before it all the thing. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So geez, how did you So that project I mean that project went great for probably 18 months. Um, it was providing a lot of cash flow for me. And oh, a few months in, I was like, this can't be my only project. I need to start branching out, d diversifying a little bit. So, you know, it was it was my mom's friend needed a bathroom remodel and someone else needed a kitchen remodel and someone I knew at church needed a bathroom remodel. So I'd, you know, do these little jobs. And then, and then it would, I could get a whole house remodel um, but 18 months into that first project, when uh, the financial crisis happened, um, it actually exposed one of the main investors, uh, it exposed his Ponzi scheme. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. So when we got the first few units finished, and they went on the market and they just sat. And when they sat, all of his capital dried up. And he could no longer rob peter to pay paul yeah yeah and um yeah it went it, it bank foreclosure um lawsuits against the investors and the company i was working for um luckily i came out fairly unscathed um luckily um but the next few years were rough i mean that that 08 09 um tax returns were depressing yeah um but then ever since then just a steady incline up and up and up and uh, hired my first employee in 2011. Uh, no, 20, no, 2012, because he, he was with me 10 years last year. Um, and he's still with me. So That's my first impressive. employee is still with me. Yeah. That's wild. What did, what did you do to, to get through that? I mean. Uh, I had, we had flipped a few homes. So um, what's funny is, is right out of college in 03, Took, took me five years to graduate college. So in 03, we were out. Um, we immediately bought a home. And those loans were the ones that set the trap for a few years later when all those balloon loans everybody was getting with the 90-10 financing, no-doc loans. I was one of those loans. Um, luckily, I remodeled, added on, it appreciated, I refinanced. But those loans are what set the trap for mm -hmm. 08, 09 when oh, yeah. all the, they all came due and all of a sudden your, your mortgage doubled. And you're like, what do you mean it doubled? Like, well, you signed this balloon loan. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and we're going to take your house back now. Um, so back to the answer to your question, um, we had flipped and sold. And so we had a bunch of cash reserves. In fact, when I started my company, we sold our first flip and had was really cash flush. And I was like, worst case scenario, I lose some money, I just start going work back for somebody. Sure. So I had a great nest egg to kind of give me some security uh, to go into that. So we, we ate off that nest egg a little bit through that 08, 09 season. Dang. That was smart. Yeah, yeah it was good timing. Yeah. Well, okay, so that maybe that transitions to, to the next question of, what what lessons have you learned you know over over the years mm -hmm. positive or negative right I mean, what 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 if you were to talk to somebody today who's maybe trying to branch out and start their own company mm -hmm. or maybe who's just just now getting into the industry like what what advice would you give them what what lessons have you learned yeah, yeah. always have always have a, an emergency fund um, yeah, so I have a personal emergency fund and my personal finances, and then my business also has a pretty healthy emergency fund too. 
That's a Dave uh, Ramsey. Yeah. yeah. So when Dave Ramsey wrote his first uh, business book, it's called Entree Leadership. Mm-hmm. It's right when I was starting my company. So I read that book like in probably two days yeah. and applied a bunch of principles I learned in that book to my business. Uh, one of them is yeah. having a business emergency fund. Um, read contracts. They're really important. Uh, the reason we're called contractors <laughs> is because we rely on contracts to establish the rules of the game and what we agree to do and for what price. Um, and you have to be super diligent and organized. A lot of people I know struggle in this industry because they might be really good salesmen, they might be really good trades, um, but when it comes to paperwork and being organized, it's just an afterthought. And then all of a sudden they're running, they're, they're go, they go bankrupt because they don't know how to manage their cash flow. Um, they just see the number in their bank account, and they're like, I'm doing good. Um, and they know, or, or something happens. They don't, they don't get that contract signed by that subcontractor who then goes out of business or messes up a project, and then you don't have any money on them to, to cover yourself. Um, so yeah, be super organized. Um, and it's about relationships. I mean, yeah. relationships you have with your subs are super important. You know, relationships you have with your client are super important. Um, just being a really good communicator, setting good expectations before you start construction, um, kind of help deflate that bubble a little bit <laughs> after the sales process and kind of bring them back down. Like, hey, this is going to be a really messy business and a really messy procedure. And um, at the end, you're going to have a beautiful home, but you're going to be in the operating room with us and, and you're going to see everything we make a mistake on. Yeah. Yeah. How do you stay organized? Uh, what are some tricks that you've learned over the years? I, I am naturally made that way. So okay. I, I kind of have a bent towards, um, towards you know, management and, and organization. Um, everything I do has a system. And so whenever I sign up a subcontractor, I have a DocuSign subcontractor agreement queued up where all I have to do is put his name and his email address in a blank and it autofills everything else. I send it to him clinks through it, sends me back to complete a contract. So, I mean, everything we do, uh, building a home, we have the same checklist at slab stage, frame stage, into the home stage. Yeah, you just have to be organized. Agreed, yeah, I mean, that's, that's good. I think the checklists are good because even, I mean, even though every job's different, mm-hmm. there's still some principles like from each each project that are the same, mm-hmm. you know? And so, yeah, having, having a, a standardized checklist of, of values or of, um, you know, goal, goals, you know, mm-hmm. that you should have at every checkpoint, yeah. you know, that, yeah. that's definitely, I agree. That's Every, that's every powder bathroom is going to have a faucet in it. Sure. And you need to check. You don't know what it is or how it fits, but everyone's got one and you need to make sure that it coordinates with the sink that was selected, with cabinet that was selected. Um, is it a floating cabinet? Is your P-trap going to be too high, too low? Like it's just all under, you know, check plumbing specifications. So that's a detail. <laughs> that's a detailed checklist. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I mean, one thing I, when I first started building homes, I didn't use specifications at all. Um, mainly because they were pretty simple. It, it, it wasn't that detailed. Um, but every time you get burned on something or maybe a a, a missed client expectation, be like, Oh, I thought the walls were going to be blah, blah, blah. It's like, Oh yeah, that should be in the specifications for the next house. So, you know, over 17 years now, I've built up a, a pretty robust template of every, every cost code gets a little paragraph of specifications. Like this is, is you know, plan shows us where to put the walls. 
but it doesn't tell us what kind of studs to use, mm -hmm. right? Um, that doesn't tell us what type of HVAC grills to put in the ceiling. Sure. Um, so just, you know, every time, just like with those checklists, every item on that checklist was somewhere I lost money. Uh, so, okay, don't do that again. It's going on a checklist. Um, and if it doesn't fit on the checklist, then it fits on the specifications. Very nice. Yeah. So you, um, do, do you partner with, uh, with architects firms in Austin or do the clients usually have their own drawings before they reach out to you? How, if how if there's a typical job of mine, it's, it's architect led to me. Okay. So a typical scenario is that a client will, will love an architect's work. They'll spend, um, a few months doing some napkin sketches, some rough schematics on the layout. And eventually the architect's gonna be like, hey, for to run a successful project, you need to build, bring a builder on now. Here's, here's a, a list of three builders uh, that we've worked with before we like. Go interview them, see which one fits, fits you the best, and, mm -hmm. and then bring them into the fold, commit to them, and then we'll finish out these plans with that builder. And so that's when I get interviewed. Um, if they like what I can provide and, and my you know philosophy of building, if you if you so speak, um, then you know they sign a professional services agreement, so I know that they're serious. And then we spend the next couple months um, finishing out the plans, finishing out the specifications, and then eventually going to bid and bidding that work out with all my subcontractors, and then start construction. So how do you? What's the process of how do you foster those relationships with with architects? Like what's uh, I'm getting the first one's difficult, yeah. right? Um, it's making cold calls. It's um, going to being a member of the AIA has been important to me, um, so that when they have site tours, mm -hmm. you can go show your face, shake hands with the architect, meet a couple more architects while you're there. Getting that um, relationship established. Uh, the HBA will have an event a year where we do a combined event with the AIA. Um, I don't know. H just, HBA being the, the home, home, builders. home builders association, okay. yeah, and the American Institute for Architecture in Austin mm -hmm. is what AIA stands for. Um, and yeah, eventually saying, hey, you know, next time you got a project coming up, I'd love to take a look at it, you know. And then eventually you have one, and hopefully they're impressed with how organized you are. And, um, and then after you do one, you just it's your time to shine and make sure that that you do a good job and and paying attention to the details that are important to them, mm -hmm. not changing things up without getting their input to it, um, and finishing that first project strong. And then that, you know, it's a pretty rare commodity in town to have builders that actually care. Um, there's a handful of us. I'm not the only one, obviously. But you know, someone that really loops, instead of the architect being the villain and, oh gosh, he's on site again. Like, what's he going to change now? You know, right, right. But kind of embracing it and, and understanding his role in the project and um, you know, they really appreciate that. And yeah, so absolutely. they want to work with builders that have that mindset. Yeah, being architecture-driven builder, mm -hmm. yeah. So as a builder, I've, I've always kind of wondered, like, what, what resources do you rely on for valuable information, like current, up-to-date <laughs> information? Um, I mean, like, when you, when you don't know something mm -hmm. and, you, and you want to learn, like, where, what do you turn to? Where, where do you go? Uh, YouTube. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the internet in yeah. general. Um, there's some great content out there now. Um, going to uh, going to seminars. Um, years ago, I went to a fine home building seminar in Massachusetts. That was amazing. Um, got to meet 
some some guys that I'm still friends with today um, that are doing kind of the same stuff. And so you get to rub shoulders with them and, you know, and just the seminars in general. They have great content there. But then, you know, after hours when you're, you know, sitting at the bar and, and, and shooting the bull and sharing stories, you get to learn a lot that way too. Um, so, yeah, uh, find those conferences. Like next week I'm actually going to Houston to get Passive House certified. That's just another Okay. I, just, cool. I don't know. Just I guess having that mentality of, of continuing your education. Um, Are you in a always. Builder 20 club? I'm not, but that's also a very, very good thing to be in. I almost pulled the trigger on doing that uh, early 2020, and then we all know what happened in March, and so that got put on the <coughs> But no, being in a Builder 20 group, um, that's fantastic. Um, there's also, you know, there's business coaches out there. Um, Sean Van Dyke, you know, I see a lot of, um, what's that, Builder, Builder Academy. There's, if you want to learn, there's resources out there. You just got to have the willingness to go get it. So you work with the, the, the architect has a potential client. Mm-hmm. They bring you in, go back, architects finish the plans. You have specifications for all of those details. Mm-hmm. Are all the selections done before you start? No. Ah, now that's, that's interesting. Sometimes. That's the same problem Sometimes. we're all in, right? <laughs> so... Um, Let's talk about countertops. That's super simple, uh, an easy example. Um, I can tell you within a, a square foot of how much square foot of countertops you have in that house. Because part of my pre-construction services is I do a detailed takeoff of everything I can measure in the plan and then put my own numbers to those. So um, you know, the initial specification meaning is like, hey, there's good, better, best in everything. Um, you know, the range of countertops is from $60 to $160. Where do you think you land in that? Mm-hmm. You know, um, or if they have like, are we talking marble? Are we talking um, Cambria? Are we, I mean, where are you talking about? And then I can plug that number in. And so if, if they want to start the contract that way, that's great. We'll just establish an allowance. It's like, hey, your home's $2.5 million. And out of that money, you have 60 grand allotted for countertops. And so then eventually they'll go in and make the real selections. And they'll either be over or under that and settle up at that point. Sometimes I've had a few clients that knew exactly what they want. Or the architect is also playing the designer role where they will give the actual selection. Mm-hmm. And so we'll get that priced out to the dollar. Even though it'll still be an allowance, I'll still get it priced out exactly the way they want it. Um, Appliances the same way. Um, It's interesting. It's like, because you don't know, I mean, you can ask questions and get close, but it's it's funny how some clients will react to either you being way over or way under on their allowance. Um, that's been an interesting topic. It's like, how much do you want to spend in AV? Like automation? Oh, I'm not. That's not important to me. I'm like, okay, well, let's we'll put like six grand in there for, you know, wiring <laughs> doors and windows and maybe surround sound or something. Yeah, yeah. And then they go and they end up spending like 30k or whatever, and you're like, God, now I got to come up with that money. Why? Why didn't you make the allowance bigger? It's like, because well, you told me you didn't want much. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then if you go the other way, it's yeah, they get upset too. So. But the key. Is the transparent communication of Correct. all those things. Correct. Because like you said, if you tell them up front and it's in the contract and mm-hmm. it's written that it's $6,000, then right. that's what it is. Mm-hmm. And then it's just doing a good job of going, okay, it was 6000 You made it 30000 You just had a meeting with our AV company and their quote they sent back to me is sixty grand. Mm-hmm. Uh, you need to write me a check for $54,000. Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay, well. Let's get this figured out before they show up on site because mm-hmm. we're not doing anything until you sign off on it. Yeah, totally agree. How do you how do you handle changes? 
Yeah, it's another way of being organized. This yeah. this will kill you as a builder. Mm -hmm. um, whether you're fixed price or cost plus is change orders. Um, so I've got like blank um, PDF forms in our Dropbox folders that the project manager will copy and paste, label it change order three, put the date on there. So as soon as something comes up that's not per plan and not per spec that the client wants to change, we initiate the paperwork. And so at our weekly meetings, we go over this. Hey, the client, we just framed the house and they realized they really want a window on the side, an extra window in their bedroom. Great, okay, well, let's figure this up. Window's gonna be 600 bucks. And pay our framer a couple, a little bit of money. That's it, right? It's just two people involved. So we'll, we'll write up the change order. Um, they'll agree on the price and we'll start the work. So this is where we started. This is where you wanna be. It's different, it's a change order. You gotta pay for it. Um, if you do the same change order later in the project, two weeks before they want to move in, then it's its own remodel project. Now it's going to be you know six times that amount of money and, and take a lot longer to do. So we always tell our clients, earlier the better. Even if you're just thinking about it, let us know. That way we can like not order something that will be wrong um, and get it done. And, and so we, we do fixed price contracts. So it's real important for us to do that. But I think, I think the fixed price model forces us to do what a cost plus builder should be doing what's that um the change order process mm -hmm. it definitely forces you to be way more diligent about mm -hmm. it because you've got more at stake but the cost plus builder <laughs> y'all might have been in this scenario but every time you meet they make changes mm -hmm. right and and you don't do a good job of tracking that so let's say that same house hard is, to quantify you start out at two and a half million and then they're moving in and you send the, the client the last bill for five hundred thousand dollars What's the first thing out of their mouth? I didn't know that I had to pay for I didn't know we were over over budget. Like cost plus, there's no such thing as a budget. Yeah. Um, and so if you do the right procedures up front, you'll get like, hey, this is a, it's still gonna be cost plus, but I think you're over scope by 13K now. Go ahead and write me that check for 13K. It'll go into the fund. We'll settle up at the end, but I want that 13K now instead of not getting it out of you after you've moved into your house and attorneys start getting involved. Um, yeah. That's how you lose hundreds of thousands of dollars. Yeah, smart. Yeah. On the uh, average project, how mm -hmm. many change orders do you think you do? Five. That's it? Mm -hmm. Just five? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, we get everything figured out up front. That's impressive. The most that's we've nice. ever done is like 12. Wow. That's really impressive. Yeah. That's that is nowhere near the number uh, I was thinking. Well, I mean, honestly, we do two different kinds of projects. I mean, to be honest. Um, but, no, we, we, we try to be extremely detailed. We go, like, that 10-page specification sheet I have, we go over all the details up front. That's, you um, can be so much more efficient right. without all the changes along the way. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, 100%. I just changed my perspective <clears throat> with five. Right. <laughs> <laughs> So, okay, so in what, in what ways do you think the industry, the construction industry has changed mm. for positive or negative uh, or, or one of each? Yeah. I mean, whatever. I, it, this is my kind of positive is going to be tainted by, you know, my passion for the industry. And I think that's energy efficiency. I think, I think we're making homes way more energy efficient than what we used to. And yeah. I think that's a really good thing. Um, not only just for energy consumption, but just for comfort um, mm -hmm. and for health, having good indoor air quality, so much benefits that, that you might not see on the surface, but 
you know, living in a healthy home for 10 years is going to make a big difference as opposed to, you know, having dust everywhere and um, high humidity when you're, when you're not supposed to and things like that. Um, downside of that is the more energy efficient codes are pushing homes, the worst we're handling the building science of it. And so, for instance, we're increasing, we're increasing the R value of walls and increasing the R value of windows and that therefore decreases the size of the HVAC load and makes it where the AC system runs less and less. And so, pop quiz, what happens when your AC runs less and less? Less energy? True, but what's the downside of your AC running less in a hot summer? More temperature fluctuation. Yeah. True, almost there. Uh, humidity. Boom, ding. We are no longer taking out humidity out of our homes. Hmm. And so, that's a big problem. Now you're going to have high humid homes and in the hot humid south, you're going to start getting mold inside your home. Indoor air quality is going to plummet. You're going to have, you're going to have homes that are, that are negatively affecting your health now. So making our homes more energy efficient is great if, if you do it right. But if you're not putting standalone dehumidifiers in your homes, you're, nothing's taking out the humidity in your home. It's just building up and building up and building up. Right, which then kind of says, well, then instead of do that, just go back to old school positive pressure. Right. <laughs> Let it leak, uh-huh. and that's your air exchange uh-huh. and your dehumidifier. Right, yeah. yeah. I mean, <clears throat> well, there's a reason that the homes built, let's say, in the 20s are still standing today, and we're bulldozing 1970s homes. Um, well, of course, a lot of it has to do with aesthetics, but those homes that were energy hogs were moving so much energy through those walls moisture didn't even have a chance of condensing in the walls but now you start adding insulation you get a cold cold surface on a hot humid day you're going to get condensation in your walls and i mean we've all done demolitions to where you pull down that drywall and if the if the back side of the drywall is not black you know you're definitely going to have all kinds of dust and mold in the, in the uh and what was your home's filter which was your insulation <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and along that exact same example I've demoed houses from the 20s and opened walls. It's been flawless yeah, inside the wall. Beautiful. Just perfect. <laughs> exactly. It's because all that energy gets transferred instead of caught in that wall. So I guess that was pro and con. Um, the big con that affects us, I'm sure affects y'all too, is just the, the diminishing quality craftsmanship out there. Mm-hmm. The, the, the labor skills gap. Um, is 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 definitely there and, and hurts um and one one theory i'm kind of brainstorming is it, it's it's forced us to kind of kit kit our homes or flat pack our homes and what i mean by that is you know 20 years ago when a home needed a, a, an iron railing across the back porch um you would call your local welder still fabricator and he would come out he would measure and he might do some fabrication in the shop, but he's still bringing a cutting torch, a grinder, and a welder out on site, and he's custom installing that railing on the back of your house. Um, they're getting less and less of those people, so that product's getting more and more expensive. Therefore, in technology, um, has been a good you know help with this. But now you can order that 23-foot, 7-inch section of rail from an online railing company. Mm-hmm. They'll flat pack it and send it out. Now you just got to find someone to install it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, you know, cabinets is kind of that way with the Ikea flat packing cabinets. Countertops, I don't think you're going to get away from fabricating countertops. It's kind of hard to flat pack granite. 
Um, but even like like uh, you know the BMC Ready Frame homes. Have you heard of that? Oh yeah, yeah. So everything's pre-cut in a factory. It gets strapped together, and then someone you know a lower skilled laborer is just there with uh, a nail gun, you know, to nail it together and prop it up, make sure it's level and square. And the expectation um, is he's going to grab every piece and put it in the correct location mm-hmm. and not grab a piece and cut but, it to fit somewhere, right. screwing up the next but piece. That, so <laughs> it's usually, usually with BMC Ready Frame, you're doing truss roofs as well. Um, and so the skill it takes and the math and the knowledge to, to cut in a roof, that's intense. And that takes a lot of years of training and apprenticeships and being a really quality craftsman framer. And those guys, they're aging out, and it's not getting replaced. And so we have to, we have to have technology help us fill that gap. And, and the downside of that is that we're 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 not replacing the craftsmen. You're just the widening the, the skills gap. By yeah, doing that, I know. But I mean, so how do we solve it? Well, can we? <laughs> I mean, I, we solve it. Well, first of all, I think um, we need to stop. Telling, we had a bad rash of telling kids that the only the only successful route you have after high school is go to college. Yeah. Yep. <clears throat> go to college. Go to college. Go to college. We got to stop that. And I think we are. Uh, Mike Rowe has done amazing stuff with his initiatives, um, and I love I love his pledge. I don't have it on memory, but yeah. His, the, what is it? The sweat pledge. Yeah. yeah. That's fantastic. He, he opened awesome. up. He opened up IBS last year, and mm-hmm. I attended. It was amazing. I love that guy for a yeah, long time. Yeah, well. um, but okay so we stop telling that lie that college is the only path forward um you know uh, adrian you said that you were an ffa growing up like i was i think we got to get shot class back in high school yep i agree with you, so, but. yeah um we've got to start giving scholarships to trade schools um you find that kid in high school that um, might not be too good with math which is fine or, or who needs to be good at, everybody can't be good at chemistry but he loves plumbing, you yeah. know. Like, let's give that kid a scholarship to trade school, because um, I guarantee you he's going to be making more money than his counterparts for at least the first ten years <laughs> that he's he's plumbing homes. What? But what impact can we have as as builders? Um, we we're kind of I think caught in the middle because on one hand we need to we need to build a product for our clients now. Yeah, yeah, right. And so we have to deal with what we have. Um, I know I, we build different kinds of homes, um, but you know, in my homes, it's kind of getting more and more kit built. Um, I mean, what? I don't know. What do you think? <laughs> I I don't know. I th- I think, and and Adrian and I were, were kind of talking about it the other day. I mean, I think it's, it's it has a lot to do with like outreach. Because mm-hmm. I mean, th- those programs do exist in in high sc- some high schools, not everywhere. Like like FFA or even welding mm-hmm. or, or shop class. I mean, they're probably few and far between now, which is kind of sad. But um, it's it, I, f- I feel like there should there should be more outreach, or maybe we're kind of you know we're trying to get into kids' lives. Not just in high school, but maybe even maybe even middle school, where, mm-hmm. where we're just maybe you take a group of middle schoolers and you kind of tour a construction site. You know, it doesn't have to be hands on. It could just be an introduction. Like, right. hey, this is you this see, this is the path. Yeah, this is the path. Like, this is what you could do. 
um, and, and you get to work with your hands and create something out of nothing, you right. know, and, and be and be creative and solve problems yeah. on a day-to-day basis. And Yeah, one thing I just thought of while you were speaking is um, I think some of it is, is advocating for our trades. You know, don't don't beat up your plumber on his cost. Like if he's if he's in line, relatively speaking, with everyone else in town, don't don't hound him over price. Yeah. Give him give him the money he needs to make a profit, to pay his guys well, um, and and to reward the craftsmanship. I mean, yeah. you guys do some amazing stuff, um, and so part of it is 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 educating the client. Be like, listen, you know, I'm going to be paying X amount of dollars for trim carpentry labor, and there's a reason for that. Is because there's not many of them that can do it this well. I want to make sure I take care of them, so that you know he incentivizes people in his company to stay there. And, and bring up the next generation of craftsmanship. But if, if it's always the race to the bottom dollar, I mean, that's, that's yeah. Problem one. Yeah. Because if you're not paying someone fairly for something, then it's really hard to mm-hmm. hold them accountable. Right. And you're setting a, a bad benchmark right off the bat. Right. And I mean, the flip side, I mean, there's a housing shortage in this country and it's not getting any cheaper. Um, so that's the other, it's like, you wanna be able to provide housing for the masses at a reasonable price, um, I'm a big free market guy, uh, but I mean, there's a place for that too. Um, it's just, I know in Europe, um, you know, people value their housing a lot more, so they pay a lot more for it. Um, we have a, you know, throwaway houses essentially here. Uh, I don't want to name any names that we all know them, but you know the, the top the top builders in the country are always the big production guys. But they're they're building a modified or a glorified fort yeah. uh, for their clients, and it's like yeah, it achieves a purpose, but that home's going to be trash in thirty years. It's a cardboard house, yeah. yeah. If that, and and I actually I read a whole article on this recently, and it has to do with a society's mental view of it Mm -hmm. three generations ago our great grandparents if they had to put in an appliance or a fireplace they would do it to be there forever Mm -hmm. so that future generations could use it and this mentality now is oh i don't like this kitchen this kitchen doesn't work for me let's tear this all out the next person can remodel it after me but just for me i want it just my way and that's a that's a different shift completely in how we use our resources. Yeah, yeah. That, that consumer mentality. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So can you like can you pretend to be Jamie on the Joe Rogan show and look something up right now? Is that allowed? <laughs> I wish. I wish I was more tech savvy. No, Stephen Basic's got a great quote that he. I'm going to butcher it. Maybe we can look it up. But it's it's um, it's not that homes cost too much. It's just that we have really low expectations of the quality that goes into them. Um, yeah. Sorry, Steve. I know I butchered that. Um, <laughs> Maybe in post edit you'll add it in or something. But, uh, no, it's it, yeah. No, that's that's well said. So I mean, technology is solving some of the skilled trades gap, but is it also exacerbating it? You know what? Mm-hmm. Are we reacting? Are we being too proactive? Um, I think getting trades back in high school is going to be our best solution going forward, um, and stopping the lie that college is your only route. I agree. Yeah, I, I think, and that's what I'm telling my sons and daughters. Right. It's like you don't have to go to college, but I mean, if you don't, then make sure you learn a trade, and and I'll help you start that business or help you work your way up through there. And yeah, I mean, entrepreneurship. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's you know that's the route that that my parents took. I mean, they've been in business for forty years, and but I think 
don't know, we need to like bring back the honor mm-hmm. in in like working with your hands. Right. You know, that's that's such a, a beautiful skill to have that when your truck breaks down, like who who, who do you go to? Like you go to the mechanic. Like mm-hmm. the mechanic does well, you see, you go to yourself. It's like I saw a funny joke. It's like in the thirties, the in, in the thirty the thirties in the nineteen thirties, the the manual for your truck tells you shows you how to like recharge the water in your battery. And now the now the manual in your truck warns you not to drink it. You know. <laughs> wow, that is. I'm gonna be using that yeah. one. I like that. That's good. That's a good one. Yeah, it's so accurate though. Gosh. Unfortunately. So that's a that's a, a pro. A con and a con. <laughs> uh, well, that's fine. Yeah. Um, but no, I, I guess what I want to finish on, I, I wanted to talk about excellence. Mm-hmm. That's that seems to be a term that's thrown around a lot. You know, like you know, we, we pursue excellence or we're grounded in excellence. You know, excellence this and excellence that. But like, what what is it? Mm-hmm. What is excellence to it's, you? It's an elusive unicorn. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah, it's it's like a. a target that you're always shooting at but you never really quite get there i mean it's 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 very like I said, it's elusive yeah you just yeah. you don't always arrive you never arrive at excellence mm-hmm. you're always I, pursuing it a lot of it's your mentality yeah you know someone that comes in and just has the mindset of like okay it's just got to be good enough mm. and and doing opposite of that like no I'm, I'm striving for perfection i know that i rarely get there but at least my strive is to is to get there. And and, and what comes along, um, I guess, in the fodder of that is is much better than just having the attitude of oh, it's just good enough. Mm-hmm. So it is subjective. I, I think it's a. I, kind of, I agree with that. I think it's it's a it's a lifestyle. It's a it's, mm-hmm. a, it's a mindset. You like I don't think it's you can't separate it from like your professional life and your personal life. Right. You know what I mean? Like, you can't just, well, I'm going to be excellent while I'm on the clock. And mm. then when I mm. clock out, I'm a whole different... Be a slob and a horrible person. Slob and a horrible... Yeah. Mm. Good. A lot easier. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. It would be a lot easier. But it's you can't separate the two. Yeah. Like, well, that, I mean, that's a good point. Excellence is hard. Yeah. It's, it's hard. hard. It's a daily grind. It's showing up and seeing your subs not care. And you're like... At times, you feel like you're the only one. And... You know, for instance, like our HVAC company, we almost have to wire up our dehumidifiers ourselves. Like, because we've read the manual, we have a diagram, it never gets commissioned properly. It literally takes them four trips to do it. And we're like, I should have just done it myself. And it's just, it's hard, Mm -hmm. right? And it's just something simple to commission the house to function properly on day one. Shouldn't seem like that hard of a job, but even that's hard. Um, And so, you know, having that mindset of just pushing hard and then having the fortitude and the, the grit to, to do it long term. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause you can get burned out real fast when you feel like you're the only one that cares and it's just a daily grind. I mean, yeah. Being excellent for one day, that's easy <laughs> <laughs> every day. Right. Yeah. Right. That's tough. That's, it is hard, yeah. but, but yeah, I mean, you can't, we're all, I mean, you have kids, mm-hmm. you have four kids, four kids. Good Lord. And you work. And I work, right? Yeah. <laughs> wow. I have a beautiful life. What was it that Jim Gaffigan, do you know Jim Gaffigan? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So it's like, like having four. Having four kids is like you're drowning in this. Imagine hand you you're drowning. <laughs> Someone hands you a baby. Yeah. How old are they all? Uh, 16 to 9. Oh, wow. 
Nice little spread. Mm-hmm. That's got to be fun ages. And just it, it's it's a lot of fun. And... I did not enjoy the younger years, um, but I'm really enjoying these older years. Boys, yeah, girls? Awesome. Both? Oh, half and half. So girl, nice. boy, girl, boy. Very nice. cool. Yeah. Nice. How are the how are the, the girls as they get older? Because I, I have a, a boy and a girl. Mm-hmm. My oldest is five. She's, she's uh, just turned five. And then my youngest is three, my, my son. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm like... I'm enjoying the, the younger years. Yeah. These are these are fun. You know, there's a lot of programming, right? You say that a lot. You're, you're programming. Mm-hmm. There's a you're lot of programming. That ha- and if you don't do that programming now and just have fun, it's going to really bite you later on. Um, Whoa. I mean, kids aren't robots. I mean, they're yeah. all going to be individual and, and whatnot, but you have that's, to that's really true. strive in those young years to establish morals and certain attitudes and work respect ethic. and work ethic. Yeah. 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 How do you, so how do you handle the work ethic? Do you send them out to to the farm? To yeah, the... right. Yeah, <laughs> they they got it easier than what I had it. Uh, but no, they've got chores. Uh, we yeah. expect we expect a lot out of them. Yeah. Um, we probably do, should do more. Do you do Do you have like a star chart? How do you do the chores? Oh, we had we did. Star chart. No, we totally had a star chart early yeah. on. Yeah, where yeah. they earned and got money and um, God, that was an old memory. That was a good one. <laughs> well, we're, yeah, I I've sort of. I, I changed this because I had a star chart. Mm-hmm. So I read uh, um, Dare to Discipline by mm-hmm. Dr. James Dobson. Oh, Dobson's fantastic. Yeah, so I, I read that, and that was probably a book I should have read a long time ago. Mm-hmm. But So I, I finished that one, and uh, and then I, I actually just finished another one, uh, Hunt, Gather, Parent. Uh, and I forget, the, I forget the author, but kind of two, like... Vastly different viewpoints hmm. uh, on hmm. on raising kids. One was like, you know, you have to instill discipline, and it's not just disciplining your kids; it's teaching your kids to be disciplined. Right. Mm-hmm. Which I think the title, like some people read the title and they get really turned off, like oh, discipline your kids. Like, <laughs> I know. Start by right? beating your children. No, they, but they need discipline. Yeah, they, they need to be disciplined. They need structure. They need structure, mm-hmm. which is kind of what the book's about. Like, mm-hmm. you know. So the, there's that, and then there's Hunt Gather Parent, which I read. Which some parts I really liked, some parts you know I, I thought were kind of hokey. But um, you know, it's all she, she kind of travels the world and, and looks at different uh, cultures and, and how they raise their kids. And some of it's very insightful. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's could be um, probably used here in America, but a, a lot of it too is just it's a it's a different culture and it works over there, but it doesn't it's a lot of it you can't really apply here Mm -hmm. um but i've kind of learned to like mesh the two so we i changed the star chart um so and we used to do okay these are your tasks these are your chores and if you get so many stars you get you get a reward you know kind of that reward (laughs) system and so i changed it to where you're no longer because if you put tasks on the chart they learn to do those tasks right but if you put thought processes and ideas on the chart, then they you restructure their thinking. Mm-hmm. So that's what we need to do for punch lists for our subcontractors. <laughs> you make so. right. So instead of having mm-hmm. like yeah. punch lists for subs, like this is, yeah, I want you to go in the house and I want you to think about excellence. Yeah, well, maybe so. And then come yeah. back and report to me how many items she did. It's time well spent. <laughs> what and but you touch on something very good. What's your methodology for a punch list? Because this is yeah. a big thing for yeah. builders, right? What do you use? Um, I use a program called Plan Grid. Okay. I've and heard of Plan Grid. Uh, it's that. it's primarily a a plan management tool. And so yeah. instead of opening up a PDF 
or like instead of opening up like paper plans on site or a PDF in your Dropbox of plans, you actually upload the PDF plans to uh, Plan Grid, and then each each sheet its own page. It allows you to to edit. It allows you to uh, annotate on it. Uh, the real beauty of it, which is why I started using it, is that when the architect issues a new set of plans, you upload that new set and you give it the, the upload date so it knows it's fresher mm -hmm. and it will overlay mm -hmm. the new plans over the old plans. All your notes will bleed up yes. to mm -hmm. the new plans and then you can actually also do a compare feature. So you can mm -hmm. say compare old version to new version. In a split second, it's red, blue, and black. It shows you the differences. Yep. Um, mm -hmm. So that's just been awesome. Uh, but then it also has a task feature to where um, you can pinpoint on the plan where the task is, assign it to a trade, add pictures, annotate on the pictures, write a description. And then when you're done doing 100 items, you can then sort it, filter it, just my plumber stuff, and then generate link. And then you can email that link to the plumber and he's got everything with descriptions and pictures. And all your trades are tech savvy enough to so follow I don't, that stuff. That's a great, great thing. Yeah. I don't expect my subs to do anything special for me. I don't require them to do a special login, with payment or anything. So I generate a PDF um, link, copy paste that link in an email and say, here's your punch list. All they gotta do is hit that link. It opens up a PDF. They can either see it on their phone or tablet or print it off at the office. Yeah. Because yeah. you, you do, not in a disrespectful way, but you have to dumb it down to make it super easy yeah. for, to follow. Yeah, because if you expect this one sub to do something special just for you with the login, and they're going to they're gonna forget their credentials, and aren't going to show up with it. Even even though we do all that work, it's still you still have people that show up without the list. Uh -huh. And that's the most frustrating thing. It's like you spend hours making it easy for them so that they can come in one trip and like, like, help me help you uh, off Jerry Maguire. Um, <laughs> that was the only thing I was waiting to hear, though, is yeah. that on top of all that other, and then you print out a copy right. of it and, and bring it to the side no, and we, put we, it we on do, the door. So we print out the whole thing that's several you know, pages, and but then you know, they can show up with just theirs condensed if they mm -hmm. take the time to do it. Um, you know, a lot of times you email it to your rep, but then that rep fails to print it or forward it to the guy that actually comes out. Yeah. And then you get the phone call. You're halfway across town. Hey, uh, can you come meet me at Sunnyside? I got some questions about what I need to do. Jim just said I should come over here and talk to you. You're like, oh. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my gosh. It's mind-boggling. I'm going to strangle you. Yes. <laughs> yeah. There, there are days. Uh, it was very. Uh, it was an enjoyable comment. We just had clients move into a house. Mm -hmm. And uh, the wife asked us, after about three days of being there watching everything going on, and she said, how do you not kill some of these people? That's a challenge. I was like, you know, that is so satisfying to hear. I'm not just crazy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's right. Oh, man. Well, Luke, it's it's been an absolute pleasure. Yeah, I, this I, is fun. It's late. Yeah. I appreciate your, your time and your willingness to come on. Um, and take time away from from your family and, and come you know shoot the breeze with us absolutely so uh really enjoyed it it was very insightful uh, been a good time I, yeah it was a great time so cheers cheers uh, appreciate yeah. you cheers uh, thank you for coming on all right take care guys we hope you enjoyed this discussion for more information on upcoming episodes follow us on instagram we want to hear from you so leave us some feedback to help us shape future episodes